This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is Dan Schinder, the founder and CEO of Drum Talk TV. In 2013, Dan started Drum Talk TV, an online experience that has brought drummers, musicians, and music lovers together. Drum Talk TV is an online show showcasing insightful interviews in the world of drumming. These unique interviews from all over the drumming world feature all genres and cultures. They talk with live and session masters, legends, educators, hidden gems, prodigies, drum heroes, fitness experts, techs, producers, manufacturers, and more. Drum Talk TV also provides a series called Perspectives, where they talk with other musicians about the drummers they work with. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I are doing here on the podcast, you can join our Patreon page. And for as little as $1 a month, you can have full access to all the educational material on that page that has been provided by past guests. New for this year, 2024, we have a new monthly video series where Zach and I get together. We talk about the interviews of that month, some behind-the-scenes things, some extra content that we're doing on a monthly basis. We're very excited about this new video series and just a little bit more content for all our supporters. We have supporters on there contributing up to $5, dollars $25. Become part of the community. We really appreciate it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation on our website at www.workingdrummer.net. There's a PayPal button. You can find all the information there. So Dan reached out to us a few months ago about sharing our platforms exposing our audience to him and his audience to us. And we are more than happy to have him as a guest and talk about the thing that he's been building since 2013. If you go to his website, you'll recognize his face and his voice and his interviews and just all the variety of information and things that he's curated over the years. Uh, Dan is a go-getter. He does not let the grass grow under his feet. If there's one thing I've taken away from this interview is if you have an idea or something you've been thinking about doing, just get started. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry if it's perfect or not. Just get going. People are excited to consume this content and learn from it. And Dan's just done such a great job with Drum Talk TV. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Dan Schinder. I feel like the name comes first and then they figure out what style of music they're going to play based on the name. <laughs> exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're here to talk about Drum Talk TV and Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you've been at it since 2013. Yeah, January and- 2013. We're coming up on an 11-year celebration. That's amazing. And you know, it's so funny because a lot of people that know us say, man, you guys have been at it for so long. We started in January of 2015. Oh, so that is a long it. time. It is a long time. I mean, no matter how you slice it, creating a some sort of media platform, whether it's a YouTube channel, uh, podcast, whatever you do to be consistent, 
is yeah. a testament to your work ethic, to your commitment, to your vision. Uh, so, man, Thanks. that is a lot. And 11 years, congratulations to you guys. And uh, I, I've, I've known about you. I've watched videos. I've seen what you guys do. I always pull from other what other people are doing, kind of drawing inspiration for oh, nice. um, figuring out what we want to do and like how we want to do it. So it's a beautiful thing in music where it's not a sport, it's not a competition, but there is competition. But to kind of sidestep that concept into the media platform, it never feels anything remotely like a competition. It feels like a collective group of people that want to share information and yeah. grow the community. And so we've shared many guests and guest spotlights with other content creators. And it, it brings me great joy. So adding you to the list, I'm glad you guys uh, reached out and honored to have you on Thank you. Uh, our show. Thank you. And likewise, I'm honored to be here. I mean, you guys have over 400 episodes. That's there's a lot of work involved in that. You know, a lot of people, people who don't do content creation or have a media platform really don't understand what goes into it and what needs to go into it. And it's 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 been a journey, man. I mean, yeah. there have been multiple times, even when we crossed a lot of really major milestones and and some big ones were crossed in our first year but moving along through three five eight years so many things happened so many things were so great yet i i can't tell you how many fuck it moments i had mm. where i almost said i just can't take it anymore because it's when it comes down to it, it's business and business can be frustrating sometimes. And people who say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's BS. I love what I do. Yeah. All, my whole team does. And we work very hard. You know, I, I don't think that platitude is real anymore. Maybe in the fifties it was, but every time I've had those moments within 24, 48 hours. Um, and the, the shorter time has been, uh, thanks to my wife and Ja, I've always brought myself back to why are we doing this? Yeah. And, and, you know, we could talk about th this other thing a bit more as we get deeper in the conversation, but I, I like to remind musicians that when a lot of people put their lab coats on and they got the pocket protector and the highlighter and the mechanical pencil and the ballpoint and the meat thermometer and the air gauge. And, you know, and, and they talk about, Oh, you're not holding the sticks, right? Oh, I see a pinky. You know, all that BS means nothing. We need to always remember why we do what we do. And I hope that everybody becomes a musician and a, a drumming musician to have fun. And when the fun is gone, stop doing it. Or, yeah remember why you started you yeah. know so I, I i relate that to business and that's what brings me back and sometimes i'll be in like just brain bending meetings with our lawyers or an investor or you know different things like that and i'll just be like stomping around frustrated and not that things are going bad but 
that's just not my jam, but it's part of business, right? Yeah. And yeah. then I'll do something like this with you, Matt, or I'll interview someone on our show. And during that show, I'm saying to myself, this is why I do this. This is so fun. I just love having the conversations. I love curating content from our fans. I love doing the documentaries. I love covering events. I love our four original series. I just, I love, love, love that. And that's what really keeps me going. It's, it's gotta be about the fun and the purpose. You know, why do you do what you do? And uh, again, it's a lot of work and I'm, I'm glad that people don't see or understand what goes on behind the scenes because that shouldn't show through it's the the purpose that should and i hope i hope does show through. It's, and it's what's interesting is is as you grow as your uh you know platform grows there are going to be critics there are going to be people that are going to you know inject their opinion about something one thing or another that you do and when zach and i have discussed this when we've had to contend with that from time to time we always go back to, you know what, if you don't like this, start your own podcast, you know, yeah. and then or start your own platform and see how much work goes into it. Yeah. Now, I mean, we, we mean that, you know, somewhat snarky, but also seriously, like, no, yeah, absolutely. If you don't like what you what you're hearing, like, or how we do it, start your own, but also recognize that there's a lot of work and we're not going to sit here and, and berate our listeners and say, we put in a lot of work this it's like we right. still have set it we still enjoy what we do and we've set up um uh, guidelines to make ensure that it stays fun and stays light and we can stay focused on other things yeah. um and you have to create that balance and it sounds like what you've done to maintain a certain amount of balance so that you can still enjoy the process is surround yourself with a team Surround oh, yeah. yourself with a support system that shares your vision. Tell me about that. I know your wife is involved. Your son is involved. Yeah. So how many people are a part of this? So there's layers. And and before I unfold that, I, I want to comment to something brilliant yeah. that you said. And that is, you know, when people criticize and have opinions, when people are negative, with 11 kids, 19 grandkids, I've learned into my 60s, you can't please everybody with the same thing. And that should never be a goal. And music, food, art, all these things are subjective and no one's going to like everything. And that is totally okay. I don't do this to please everybody. I do this for the purpose we do it. And those who love it, that's awesome. If people have suggestions, um, hey, why don't you do this? Have you ever thought of that? And we have a focus group that's based, that's built out of our fan base. We have about a hundred people that we send surveys to. We have online meetings with, and we we openly say, "Got any ideas?" Or what do you think of this, this, and this? You know, we're launching a membership site, which I can get into yeah. later, and, and yeah. we're beta testing and and talking to the first early adopters about the different things. Um, so just like writing a song or doing a drum solo or teaching drums or music, you should never do it to please everybody. Do it where it fits into how you can do it best. Yeah. And some people will love it. Some people will hate it. And some people won't care. And that's totally okay. Nice. Um, 
So going back to your question, who's involved? So our core team is myself. I'm the founder and the CEO. Uh, Jeff Harris is our president who came on board this year, earlier this year, but I've known him for 33 years. Yeah, I've known Jeff 33 years. He's a musician. He worked for a major audio company for years in sales. And he is the founder of the first plant-based fast food chain. And he stepped down as the CEO about this time last year. And I said, Jeff, 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 you got to come on board with Drum Talk TV. And he's very, very invested in the plant-based and, and vegan world. And his head just wasn't there. And we went around and around for three months, Matt. And he said, well, why do you want me? You can get a, a big name. I said, and I tongue in chick said, Jeff, I am the big name. But, <laughs> and I said, no, but serious, seriously, Jeff, our artists, the people we interview and, and all that, those are the big names. But here's the thing. A big name doesn't have the business acumen you have with all due respect to big names. Yeah, for sure. You know, they don't have the business acumen. You've raised $15 million over eight years for a business you grow from belly button lint, like I did Drum Talk TV, to $32 million annually. You know, you've got all these skill sets. And the one thing you have that I don't know I can find in a big name is I trust you. And I trust you with my life. And, and that's a big thing. So let's try it out, see if we can work together. And it's been great. So yeah. Jeff is the president. Um, Stephen, my son, Stephen Schinder, is the chief content officer and producer. He produces the live shows, stuff like that. And uh, Steve's been full-time with me for, gosh, seven years now. He's 29. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been like seven years McKenna Frankel is uh, my executive assistant and does a lot of other things for the company itself, not just for me personally. And my wife is a producer and she's the, <laughs> when we do on-site events like the NAM show and, and whatnot, she's the on-site event producer slash den mother slash babysitter. <laughs> and she's the human resources person yeah. of the company. So that's our core team. But then we have people like uh, Kira Ron, who is my main videographer and editor. And I do a lot of that stuff. I've been doing it the whole time. I had a video production company for 14 years before I even thought wow. of Drum Talk TV. So that's very much in my wheelhouse. But I'm passing a lot of that on to Kira. Um, and then we've got our tech team which is made up of uh, about five people who handle two things. The drumtalktv.com site, which is about to get a major workover. There's going to be like a facade put in front of it that's basically going to be um, thumbnail images you can click on to different genres that lead to playlists on our YouTube channel. Well, yeah. Jennifer Dawson is revamping the entire site. Uh, wow. We're working on that right now. Um, Pay Sellingsworth, Christine Leninger, and Kim Roth are the tech team building our new membership site. And the membership site has two sides. There's the education side of right now drumming and uh, music production, studio production by Grammy award-winning producers are lending like lessons, clinics, things like that. So Kim's building that framework and the mainframe of the membership site. Pace and Christine are building the 3D uh, virtual environments where we are broadcasting live stream concerts, mm -hmm. Q and A's with artists, 
all in virtual amphitheaters. There's one in space. There's one that's in a bubble in the Alps. It's just amazing stuff. And you don't need goggles like mine. You don't need goggles. You can access it on a PC, a laptop, or a phone and, and navigate with your touchpad or your mouse where you want to watch the show from. Or if you double click on a screen, it goes full screen. So they're doing that. And then and what's the name it. of this new, this is part of the brilliance. Yeah, exactly. This That's is drumtalktvbrilliance.com. And there's still time for people to get in as early adopters for, may I promote it just a little bit? Of course. And you know what? Okay. We'll circle back and talk more about it in details, but go ahead right now. Yeah, And real quick, and then we'll unfold a little bit more of the team. Sounds for good. $17 for the first year, you can get in as an early adopter. We were going to cut that off at December 31st. We still might, but we're talking about extending it through January simply because there's more stuff we want to build out and beta test, and we want to get as many people in as possible to be part of that experience and have online Zoom meetings with me and our core team to talk about some of these things. What do they like? What do they don't like? What's clunky? What's not working? Right. Things like that. Um and then so people gonna, that are interested can participate in yeah, the production of this. Exactly. And and the actual build of it. Um, it's then gonna jump to only $77 a year, $7 a month with a discount of one month off if you pay for the whole year. This is still such a great deal for everything we're doing. There's a arcade, a virtual arcade that's gonna have music trivia, puzzle, music themed puzzles, mazes word searches in a virtual world, our top 100 videos of our first 10 years in a virtual video vault, and um, our, our uh, what's it called? Fun fact. So most interviews, I do a fun fact segment, and I ask people, what do you do when you're not drumming this, that, like, I know Zach cooks, and put him in a five-minute timeout. I was looking forward to that because I had a cooking show on TV 20-something years ago. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, fun fact vault, and it, it's really going to be different from anything else out there, and I'm really excited about that. Um, so going back to our team, who am I missing? Um I think the only other people would be our advisory board, which is made up of about eight people. And um, I think that's it. Gosh, I feel like I'm leaving someone out. Well, I mean, I, I, th I think more importantly to the point is like you've got many different minds and many different people that are contributing to a a, a mutual goal. And, and that idea, I think, it sprouts something that's strong. You know, it's not yeah. just one vision or two people. I mean, but here's the thing I want to interject. Here's what's yeah. very important. And this is not a pat on the back or anything like that. I started drum talk TV literally with an idea, belly button lint and some couch change. And I had more belly button lint than couch change. <laughs> and I did everything for the That's first band name, isn't it? Yeah. 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 There you go. For the first three and a half years, I did everything except the website. I did the initial website myself. And after about three and a half months of starting the company, I met Lori Shuve, who became one of my best, best friends. And Lori was our chief digital officer. And she did the website. I did the interviews. And that time there was no live. Facebook didn't even have live. I did the interviews. I did the post-production. 
I did the sales because we survived by me getting sponsors and contributors. I did everything. I did all the publishing, the scheduling on all our social channels, all that stuff. For the first three and a half years, we mm. grew over time. And my wife didn't have her hands in it until when Lori left. Lori helped me cover things like the NAM show on site. And when Lori left, and now she's on our advisory board, um, it was shortly before the 20. 18 NAM show. And I, again, comes back to trust, right? I went to my wife and I said, do you want to cover help, blah, 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 you know, be the production manager. She says, well, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so I, I kind of, I told her and I knew, you know, again, we have 11 kids, 19 grandkids. I knew she could corral people. She was a nurse for 23 years. She's a therapist. I knew she could, and she was amazing. So she did that. 20, 18, 19, and 20. And then of course, COVID came. And um, she's now the human resources person. She's my other eyes. And she's the one hammering me over the head to go in the studio and practice. You got to practice every day. Mm -hmm. um, she's the one that is kind of keeping my feet on the ground because I get a lot of crazy ideas for Trump Talk TV. That's how we've gotten where we have, but she keeps me grounded she she really is in a lot of ways a babysitter for me like she's oh, been gone three weeks she comes home today i don't know how i've been able to dress myself you know as we're recording this december 7th um so it's you you mentioned something that is key for everybody no matter what you do whether you're in a band whether you're a studio drummer whether you have some other business whether you work for a company no matter what you've got to surround yourself with people that support you 100%. Anything else is sabotage. People who are in toxic relationships are doing that because that's what they want. It's a decision. It's a conscious decision. And you don't have to be in a toxic relationship for this to not work. You could simply be with someone who doesn't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it and doesn't support you. No matter how different they are, you should be with someone you support and who they support. Thank goodness my wife and I understand each other. She's an She was a nurse, like I said. She's an artist. She's a therapist. She's an entrepreneur. She has two businesses. I have two businesses. And we get each other. Um, I mean, it's funny, the opposites versus the commonalities. So those are some of the commonalities. The opposites are, I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up a SoCal boy. Um, and she's from the North Bronx. Okay, I'm I'm white with a shaved head because I got the stupid Jewish horseshoe thing. Thank you, Grandpa. And my wife is black with she had hair down to her ankles until COVID. She had to cut her hair because of COVID. Oh, uh, so you know it, it's it's funny. Uh, and we're both Jewish, um, not not hardcore. We're more spiritual, and we live in this little like, if I may say, I know they'll understand a redneck town. We live in a redneck town and and it's it's funny how we ended up here but the point is we get each other and we support each other and we go to each other for that support very overtly honey what do you think of this idea or can i ask you something i'm stuck on this you know you got you got to have someone and usually not your friends 
but someone that'll kick your ass around a little bit. Right, right. And and I sincerely mean that. You, you know, our friends bless their hearts, whether it's your album, your song, your new drum kit, your solo, your whatever it is. You don't want to ask your friends because they'll hold your hand, walk with you smiling, nodding your hand till you get to the cliff and then let go and let you fall off. You need someone that's going to give you some reality throw you down the stairs, run down there before you get up, kick you in the ribs, punch you in the chin as you're getting up, then help you up and bring you back down to earth. Yeah, You know, that's what we need. That's what support is. And and support is also understanding while, why you're away for a while. Why are you coming home late? You know, it's, it's so important. It really we, is. We, we recently had an episode. It was a couple's episode. So it was Zach and his wife my wife and um, another drummer and his wife. And none of the wives are musicians, but what they did understand is our passion. And they supported that. They understood us as people. They understood you know, our passion. They didn't need to understand the music, the drumming, whatever, but just why we were driven. Yeah. And so to support us in that way, but also as a family unit and bills to pay and responsibilities with the relationship itself, there is that, this is great. I love it. I love what you're doing. I love the passion you have for it and what it feeds to you, but I need you to get to work so you can take care of business at home. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, the whole list, laundry list. Um one of the things, I mean, you have a a beautiful variety of things that you offer for people to watch and listen and things. And one of the things that I uh, related to was you have this thing called hidden gems. It's like, that's one thing that I, I, Zach and I pride ourselves on is showcasing lesser known players so that those that want to continue to grow their career or continue on their journey, they can relate to somebody that may not end up on the cover of Modern Drummer or be a household name. And you've done that as well. Uh, could you uh, expand upon this? What was the motivation for this? Was this, did this organically happen at the beginning of the show uh, when you first started? Yeah, thanks for recognizing that. Um, the ethos of Drum Talk TV started with this. I had an online platform called Dan's Drum Clinics that lasted about six months. Um, and one day I had a bunch of Pelican cases stacked up by the door as I was gonna leave to go visit my sons in San Diego. Steve and his brother Alex were living in San Diego at the time. And uh, we were still in Vegas and and she said, "What what's all that? Why are you taking all the gear? And I said, oh, I, because I got this idea that I want to interview other fellow drummers. Um, and so I'm going to stop an interview. And I mentioned Danny, who I grew up with. Danny Olson's a great drummer, lives in the Temecula area. And another guy that I had met. And I, I said, because I feel that, and this is what it was born out of. I feel that people can not only learn at the practice pad or a drum kit, but can learn from other people's experiences based on their unique perspectives from those experiences. Yeah. And she went, huh. So I went on the trip, did the interviews, came back, showed them to her. And the whole time she's punching me in the arm. 
saying, this is what you should be doing. I'm like, what? She said, do the interviews. I said, no, crazy lady. It's, it's about the drum lessons. This is just an extra tab on the website. And it was called drum talk, which is now overused. Um, and, and she said, I'm telling you do the interviews. And she saw me do interviews. I produced live news for a while with one of the very first, uh, streaming video companies. And, mm -hmm. and then I did work with the Sydney to Hobart yacht race in Australia and worked with a charter yacht company doing their videos. So she saw me do interviews wow. before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's pushing me to do this. So she shows coincidentally, I mentioned Jeff Harris earlier. She shows Jeff and he calls me and said, dude, just do the interviews. I'm like, what's with these people? He <laughs> called a friend of his in television, sent him these videos. That guy called me and said, introduced himself. I, I know Jeff, mutual friend. Listen, you're, you're no offense about the lessons, but it's watering down your real gold. And that's to do the interviews. Mm. So I, he said, I call it, I don't know, drum talk TV. So I didn't even think of the name. So the whole <laughs> thing was born really yeah. out of my wife, Enja's idea. Enja is her name and, and them pushing me. So I started interviewing. I started it officially two weeks before the NAM show 2013. Mm -hmm. And I had um, a business card. I'm looking for one, but we're not on video anyways, but I had a business card. So I must've been legit. Right. So I would like chase down people. And when I'd see them, like, Oh, there's Gavin Harrison, Gavin, Gavin, I'm Dan Schinder. I'd hold out a business card. Um, Drum talk TV. Can we do an interview while you're here? He said, uh, look at the card. Yeah. Meet me at the sonar booth at two o'clock. Gavin Harrison, Nico McBrain, Denny Sywell, just amazing artists in that first event that we covered with a friend of mine. I showed how to use the camera in the parking lot. Right. <laughs> and, and I started discovering these amazing players. I had been away from music for a while and I got on Facebook when I was in Australia for the Sydney to Hobart thing. And, and, I took care of my father for the last 16 weeks of his life after I came back from Australia. And I saw a picture a friend of mine shared of Neil Peart that was an amazing picture where the camera was right at the outside edge of his ride symbol and this like perspective into his kit with him playing. And I turned to my dad and I said, dad, I think I know what I want to be when I grow up. And he perked up and he said, what? I said, I want to be a drummer again. And this was at 50 years old. And, <laughs> and so when he passed away and I came home, after a while, I started the dance drum clinics thing, then drum talk TV. But during that time, I started seeing all these amazing drummers that were no names. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but like oh, no, said, sure. they, they weren't on the cover of magazines. They didn't have albums, you know. And when I started doing drum talk TV, I thought everyone has a story. Well, not everyone really. Okay. Everyone has a story, but I was looking for the people that have a story we can all learn from and be very inspired by. And a lot of times we get emails from managers, PR companies, bands who say, will you interview my guy? Will you interview my girl? Can they be on the show? This, that. And I would look them up and I'd see, well, they don't really have many followers. They don't have an album. Maybe they do, but I could see that they're not well known. So we would write back and I would say, if no one knows who they are, what is the story 
that mm. people can glean from. How would I promote it? How would I get people to watch it? And most of the time, they and I know that they were going, whoa, you know, I didn't see that coming, but here's the story. And yeah. and some of them just evaporated because they didn't know the value that they could bring to other people. And that's my thing. I'm not doing this. Yes, I love it, but it's not a hobby. This is a, a business and I'm doing it for the purpose of bringing joy, edification, education, and inspiration to others. They don't even have to be drummers. 40% of our audience aren't even musicians. And because of that, when I find someone that's a great, what I feel, it's subjective, a great drummer, great musician, and has a story, I'm going to put them on sandwiched in between Kenny Arnoff and Nico McBrain. You know, it doesn't matter that they're not a big name. What's your story? And let's show some clips of you playing. And to me, that's what being a media company is all about. And you guys do the same thing. I li I've listened to many interviews and a lot of the people I know, but Caleb Crosby, that's probably my favorite interview you guys have done. I loved that because I'm, I'm an overthinker when it comes to a lot of things, not music. I, I can't read music anymore. I used to be able to sight read better than I could read English. I used to be able to write things as I heard it. I haven't needed to use that in so long that I don't do that anymore. So when Caleb was talking about, you know, what's what's the best mic to use for a snare drum and, and the producer told him the first one you can, that's me. I'm just like, just fucking turn everything on and let's play, you yeah, know, yeah, record yeah. it. That's a keeper. There's no mistakes in music. There's only new discoveries. Yeah, you want to be in time and in tune, but I think that it, it breaks my heart when I reach out to someone that I find on social and I say, hey, can we feature that video on all our channels? We reach 100 million people a year. We have over a million followers and blah, 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 blah all that nonsense. And they say, oh, well, eh, I'm, I'm going to get new microphones and uh, I, I got to do something with it. I'm like, dude, just tape the phone horizontally to your dog's head and let it watch you play and record it. Just, you know, no one cares about the production value. It's about the playing. It's about what you and Zach do, what we do. It's about the story. Well, how I think you go, but you keep going back to this, you know, how you got started and, and you, you just, you just started. Yeah. To, to take that first step. And I think there are so many people and people that I know that have great ideas and but are afraid to take that first step because we're surrounded exactly. by all this, you know, highly produced stuff. And, you know, and, and granted, we'll get there. But the first thing is just to start. And then you yeah. learn as you go. You learn. At, so, yeah, no, you took that same approach when you started. I just belly TV. flopped in and I've done that with everything. I really... I really have. And I, I credit my parents for that. Um, my mom and dad who are no longer here, thankfully, cause they were pains in the ass. No, I'm kidding. My mom <laughs> and dad, I grew up in a very, very loving home. Just my sister and I, my dad didn't graduate high school. He had to go to work, um, at the beginning of 11th grade to help support the family. The older brothers were away at the war, you know, that story, but he was the smartest man I've ever met. And I've met a lot of people, a lot of successful people. 
my dad ended up being a big wig with the McDonald's Corporation, no high school diploma. But my parents taught me, you can do anything and don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Yeah. When they tell you that, that's when you cut them out. They And that goes back to the whole support thing, right, Matt? And I, I may be overcorrected in that area because as Jeff, again, going back to Jeff, when I, so I used to book time at Jeff's studio and show up and, and say, um, okay, so I'm going to record this thing and there's orchestration and, and I know you got all these samples. He's like looking around going, well, do you have charts? Do you have, I'm like, no, it's all up here. He's like, what? Okay. So we'd flip on record and I would record these instrumentals that sounded like 70 people and none of it was, I just dove in. Then when I did my cooking show years ago, I told him about what I was going to do. And he said, no offense, but you didn't go to culinary school. And what do you know about producing a TV show? And I halfway jokingly said, I, we have seven TVs in our house. I think I know everything I need to know about what a show <laughs> should look and feel. I, and I dove in. And in the first year, we won awards and, and everything. And he's always said, and he still does when he introduces me to people, he says, you're, you're so naive. You don't know you can't do it. So you just do it. Mm-hmm. And that's to your point, Matt. What I yeah. want other people to believe, whether it's starting a media company, well, and come come to me, ask questions. I, you know, I'm not hiding everything, anything. And that's the thing about drummers. I'll get to that in a minute. Just start, like Matt says, just flip on record, just turn on the camera, get the red light glowing, and just freaking do it. You can't learn the most. And you can't learn the best way without actually doing it. So right. stop studying, stop asking people, and just freaking do it. And don't let the naysayers or people who say, oh, that's a stupid hairdo, or oh, what are you wearing, or hell, you're holding your stupid <laughs> Forget about all that. It doesn't matter. You're not going to please anybody. Do it to please yourself, and enough people like you will also like it, and they will share it with like-minded people. But what I was saying about the, the whole drumming thing and, and sharing, come to me with questions. That's one of the things that makes drummers different from all other musician communities. Drummers share. Drummers are very open and communal. Drummers are always there at the gig to support the other bands. They'll watch them. They'll be the last ones to leave. Um, we, we share the info about our gear, you know, guitar players, keyboard players cover up their, their pedal boards. They don't want you to know what they're using. They'll turn around for a solo. So you can't see their tech. It, it's silly. Whereas drummers are like, Whoa, what, what snare drums? Are? Oh, check it out. Look at this thing here. Play it. You know, I don't think other musicians aren't like here, try out my saxophone. Other musicians just don't do that stuff. Yeah. And that's what makes us different. One of the things uh, my dad used a great analogy years ago. Um, my parents used to go to, I used to tear up the Sunset Strip playing at the Whiskey, the Roxy, Madame Wong's, the Troubadour, where my parents dated growing up. And my dad said, you know, it seems like drummers are like golfers and campers. <laughs> what? Dad, what? Are you having a stroke? What's I'm happening just to know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. And he said, with golfers and campers, you can leave all your golf club bags outside and go into the cafe and no one's going to mess with anything. 
<laughs> campers don't mess with other campers stuff. And, right. and drummers are very much like that. I'm not loaning my cymbals out. Thank you very much. But they're the same where we love to share information about how we play, what we play, and, and those types of things. And I think that's something special that needs to be recognized about us. And the other thing is I've never met maybe one. I've never, we won't count him or her. I've <laughs> never met a drummer that didn't have a great sense of humor. There's something about yeah, us that's, that's just different. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. And and in all my years, I think there is one kind of, you know what it was is it, it there's also like, sharing backline you know when you're opening or you know you've got support or whatever and uh you know hey feel free to you know move anything or here's a do you want to use my snare drum do you want to use this or you know you might take down a crash cymbal or whatever uh not knowing uh but but generally there is that sense of community that is unique to drummers over. yeah it's it's beautiful yeah we're different but um going back to just jump in and do it that is um how i started this and i learned as i went i'm still learning you should always be learning whether it's your playing whether it's your business and that's the other thing you know i have a marketing training company and that was born out of the first year success of drum talk tv month eight ish i think month eight Lori came to me with a report from a third-party statistical company called um, uh, Brainfart. What's it called? I can't think of it right now. <laughs> wow. But it'll come to me tomorrow at 3 in the morning. But she said, hey, look, we're achieving 900% more online reach and engagement than everybody else in our space, all our competitors. And I paused to rewind what she said. And I said, run that by me again. And she said, we're achieving 900% more online reach than modern drummer, drum, drum channel. She named all these, all of them put together. And I said, really? And that is what, with my own strategies, we had never and still have never paid for advertising or SEO or boosting posts or any of that. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it inspired me good. Like I didn't have enough to do I started a marketing training company and I started in the music industry because that's where my connections were. Um, yeah. And all, all the stuff like folks listening can't, can't see this, but all the things on my wall, these decorations and the pictures of me playing and the Beatles and Zeppelin, and uh, they look nice, but they're actually covering up holes in the wall for me, banging my head against the <laughs> wall, trying to work with people in the music industry because bless your hearts, everybody. Most musicians are not business people. Yes. And they don't want to learn. So about after a year of that company, I branched out and I started working with people in about 18 other industries. And I've had major success with this marketing training company. I do still work with people in the music industry, but it breaks my heart that most musicians don't want to learn. And they're exemplifying the biggest problem in marketing and content marketing. And that is... They're doing what everyone else is doing just because that's what everyone else is doing. So it must be the right thing to do mm -hmm. rather than learning how it really works. So always be learning whether it's your musical craft, whether it's you know, change your drum kit around, move well, your Dan cymbals around, change the tilt, try different heads, just 
you always got to be learning and experimenting no matter what it is. Can we unpack that just a little bit? So if you had a client that was a drummer and if we see ourselves as self-employed, yeah. we see what we do as a business, we see ourselves as the business. Yeah. And uh, it's really difficult to know where to start. I mean, I know we are talking about taking that first step, but when you're trying to maybe get more uh, remote sessions, get more mm -hmm. gigs, based on your experience being a consultant, say you had a client that came in as a drummer that was trying to grow their business. What, where would you start them? What advice would you give them? Could you give us an example of how? Yeah. Uh, the first thing is I would look at where they have a presence. Where are they? Are they only on Instagram because their market is uh, 18 to 24 year olds and they think that they're only there, which is incorrect. Or are they on five different channels, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever. That's the first thing I look at. And then I would tell them, you, you really need to be on at least those YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and th those are the biggest ones, really. Mm -hmm. There's so many other places to be, but you don't have to be there. And then I would talk to them about content. The biggest mistake, other than copying what everyone else is doing, the biggest mistake is when someone has a business and they put that business online on social media, they think all their content should be what's for sale, what's for sale, what's for sale, buy my thing, buy my thing, take my lessons, take my lessons, take my lessons. It's, if all we do is promote and advertise to people, there's no reason to follow them online. So the analogy I like to use, Matt, is imagine if you turn on a radio station and they play a song and then there's 20 minutes of commercials, but then there's another song and then there's 20 minutes of commercials. Would you still listen to that station? Probably would never tune in again. Well, we need to look at our social media channels the same way. You can't always be selling or there's just no reason to, to follow. Mm -hmm. um, when I work with car dealerships, I've worked with a lot of Ford dealerships, same thing. Don't just show what's for sale. It's the biggest sale of the year every freaking weekend, right? We got the pretzel cart, the popcorn cart, the face painting, bring the kids. It's going to be great. You've got to give people value and you've got to give takeaways. So put micro lessons on. Oh, put right. other things on that are going to be of interest to your target market. Celebrate your favorite drummer's birthdays. Celebrate favorite albums. For instance, today, as we're recording this December 7th, um, and I have to look at my calendar. It's funny. I can look at my calendar. I have to look at it probably 20 times a day to see what's happening, but I can remember a 20-minute song from 50 years ago. What's up <laughs> with that? So at um, 1.30, my other show that I do with Stephen, Yes Shift, it's a prog rock podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're celebrating 50 years ago today, Yes put out Tales from Topographic Oceans. Oh, and wow. then later this evening on Drum Talk TV, I'm playing excerpts from that and it's also 50 years of brain salad surgery by Emerson Lincoln Palmer. So I'm playing all of almost all of the first impression, a live version, and all of the third impression with the tail end of the second impression. You know, what I, my point is that don't just sell, give value, give th things that people can enjoy, ask questions, learn about your market. And, and that's where I would start them. I would look at what they're posting and I'd 
probably make sure they understand that all of that sales stuff mm-hmm. needs to be 20 to 30% of what they post. The other sure. 70 to 80% should be value and fun stuff that gets them to keep following you so that they see that you're advertising, that you yeah. give lessons. Yeah. That's what's important. But the micro lessons are your commercials. And some people are afraid to give that away because then people won't buy their lessons. And that and that's, I get that, but I'm at a point in my life where I can say, that's such BS. Don't worry about that. You've got to give, because here's the consumer's mind. And I tell people here, they can't see this. I'll show you when I teach my marketing class, I tell people (laughs) put on the fan hat. I'm wearing a silly hat that says fan with a propeller on it. Put on the fan hat. And when you give enough value for free, people are going to be smart enough when they see you advertising lessons they have to pay for. They're going to say, wow, I learned so much from her or him from all these free little micro lessons. Imagine what their paid program is like. And if you use the right marketing materials, you'll be able to to sell that. So that's how I would first get them started. Yeah. And everybody's situation is unique. So if it's, if it's learning marketing, if it's, you know, growing your drumming skills, uh, Mm -hmm. having one-on-one definitely is a, a better way of learning than just consuming content. That's what we're always trying to contend with is because there's so much online. You could sit there and go down these rabbit holes and uh, yeah. spend a lot of time in the practice room just based on the free content. But it, when it really comes down to growth in any capacity, uh, often that one-on-one thing really matters. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of myths out there as far as things like I mentioned earlier, who's where. A lot of people think that the the old guys like me are not on Instagram or TikTok and the young people are not on Facebook. I have, and a lot of my clients have the numbers to prove otherwise that all ages are on all platforms. That doesn't mean that every 22-year-old is on Facebook or every 64-year-old is on TikTok. TikTok happens to be my favorite platform as a consumer, believe it or not. Um, So we need, you got to learn how it really works and stop listening to people that haven't done it. A great friend of mine, who's actually on our advisory board, Jim Pluff, is a, uh, he's a business consultant and he writes business books called The Lazy Manager. And I quote him in all my courses that I teach. And he says, never take advice from someone who hasn't done what you want to do. And that's so basic and so fundamental, so elementary and so true, but so golden because a lot of us are asking the wrong, the wrong people, you know, Um, and, and we need to get away from that, have the right relationships for the right reasons, ask the right people, the right questions for the right reasons, you know. Let me ask you, in your interviews, how do you prepare for your interviews? I know when you were doing the NAM series, it was probably off the cuff and you were just improvising, but yeah. how do you prepare for your interviews? And is there anything that has been a major surprise during uh, interviews? First of all, I didn't know I was supposed to prepare for interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's such a great question because there's different circumstances. And I'll go back to that NAM show analogy because I got a, a great story about that. And this is for you and anyone else who has or wants to start a media company or do interviews. I discovered something on the spot. Um, I'll get to that. But there's different dynamics that 
answer that question differently. So if I'm interviewing Ian Pace of Deep Purple, who I've been a fan of since I was 10 years old or earlier, that's going to be different than someone way at the other end of the spectrum that one of the many PR companies or management companies email Stephen and I and say, hey, will you put this person on? And I've never heard of them. I don't know them. Yesterday, um, I've got the CD right here. I interviewed, his name's Carl Kennedy from uh, Kalekos. I had never heard of them. They were mm-hmm. a band in the 70s that got together 44 years later and just put out this CD. I knew nothing about them. Uh, Chip from Chipster sent me um, this CD. And like, I don't even have anything to play it on in here. My <laughs> PC tower, my laptop, nothing has a CD tray. So I popped it in the car and I take the dogs to the dog park. I take them for rides once or twice a day. And my office doesn't have windows, so I need to get out. And I popped this in. I'm like, wow, this is this is great. And I'd never met him. So I prepared for that simply by reading what Chip sent, a one paragraph thing that said they were a band in the 70s. Um, yeah. they, they just got back together after 44 years, put out a CD and sent me the CD. I listened to it. And that that was it. That's all the preparation I did. I, I personally don't do a lot of preparation because for me, how can I explain this? I'm afraid too much to remember will trip me up. Yeah, yeah, I hear and, you. And the, the whole thing about the Drum Talk TV interviews is I want to, and, and I tell this to people who help us cover events when I have, and we're doing a talent search, by the way, right now. Um for other interviewers, not just for events, but just for, for interviews. And I, I tell them three things. We have a dress code and it's number one, be comfortable, but don't wear shirts that have logos or brand things. Be comfortable. Don't dress like me. One is enough. Be yourself. (laughs) Number two, we have a format for interviews, how to start them, end them, and how to kind of guide them. But the biggest one is don't use notes. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at a clipboard. It's a conversation, not an interrogation. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it to be organic. I want to know something about them if I haven't heard of them, like Carl. And we had, a, I thought, a great, a great interview with him about not just drumming, but music and life. And I had no idea he was a producer as well, all these things. But in 2014 or 15, Lori was with me and a camera operator, and we were covering Brian Titchy's Bonzo Bash. Yeah. And we're outside doing the red carpet. I'm at the red carpet with the step and repeat, waiting for the artist to come down. Lori gets the bright idea saying, I'm going to go see who's online in line and come back and tell you so that you can start to think about what you're going to ask who. So she comes back and her mouth is kind of slack open and she's walking, looking down at this list. And she says, uh, I don't know who these people are, but maybe you do. And she hands it to me and probably 70% of the people on that list, I honestly didn't know. And, Mm. and 5%, I either knew personally already or knew a lot about them and the other 25% of that 30, I knew of them, but didn't really know a lot. So here comes the first person. And I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know who Gene Hoagland was. 
Now, remember, this is only about two years of kind of returning to the music scene. I had been out of it for a while. And it just came to me and uh, the camera went on and I said, hey, everybody, Dan Schindler here at the Bonzo Bash here with Gene Hoagland. Gene, how's it going? What do you got going on? And there went the interview. Yeah. I didn't need to ask anything other than what he talked about. So mm-hmm. he guided the interview and sure. I helped unpack and unfold and, and blossom all the little nuggets that he threw out. And I learned in that moment that I didn't need to, quote, prepare for interviews. I prepare, of course, to a degree, but I, I at that point was never afraid to interview someone on the spot that I was thrown into like that, that I didn't know. And by the third one of those, I was like a freaking pro at it. You know, <laughs> it was great. Like, yeah. you know, what do you got going on? Have you, you know, are you going on tour this year? It's January at the NAMM show. You're going on tour this year. Tell us about new material. Do you give less, you know, tell it what's your jam, man. And it was great. It was just great. And that's Approach just kind of with the curiosity that the listener has. Exactly. I'm a big representative of the the fan base, the community we cater to. So I ask questions as a fan, you know? Yeah. Well, I've got my my notes off camera. Uh, Oh, and that's okay. (laughs) I don't mind when people do that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm no, it's interesting. I was, you know, just, this is kind of a, a personal question that I asked as a, you know, interviewer to another interviewer, but you know, Zach uh, is, is more in, in your style. Like he likes to not be as prepared and almost intentionally not prepare so that it becomes more organic. I just, I tend to write more notes and then just have them as an emergency because I've had interviews with guests that give me very short answers or don't take off with just a simple question. Uh, mm. So I, I've, I've found myself like, uh-oh, I need to, like you say, you know, add to this, blo- make this blossom, these yeah. short answers and figure out. And if I don't know enough, you know, but uh, no, I find that interesting. And, and, and you've developed a skill for just being able to improvise and be able to riff off what the person is giving you, you know, from there. Yeah. And I'll have like pillars, you know, of certain topics and and things. And, And my son's the opposite. Steve is just amazing as a producer. When we do the show, yes, shift, Mm -hmm. he sends me a Google doc that has questions and and different things we want to cover he gives me some background if it's someone that he knows i may not be that familiar with um and this again is a podcast in the prog world and we're on camera when we do it and we're either when when we do our show without a guest there's no notes like today when we do the thing for tales from topographic there's no notes but when we have a guest he prepares me we've got notes that i don't see till that day but he'll send me the person's new album that we're going to talk about and he'll like for three days did you listen to dave's album did you listen to the album do you know what you're going to do like he's on my butt and he's i love that i I love that because it's a whole different yeah we work together in two different media companies but one operates completely differently from the other one but it's the same two people and i i love that i i love it it's great i have not listened to this podcast yet i discovered it while i was doing some research about you and i am a huge yes fan 
Oh, uh, nice. My younger, actually, both my sons are Yes fans. Uh, I love Trevor Rabin. Uh, my first concert ever was Big Generator Tour. Oh, wow. So I will definitely Wait, be. Wait, that was your first concert ever? Yeah, first. Wow. First yeah, we had Trevor on about a month ago. Yeah, I saw that. I yeah. Saw that. That's amazing. And um, we had him actually about a month before that reviewing his new album with him. And okay. then um, when it was over, we always have the guests hang on and chat with us for a bit. And we said, Trevor, can we have you on to talk more about your whole career there's that he said yeah absolutely here's my email and you know this and that and we had him on and now he's going to be part of our membership site he's going to be one of the q a artists for yeah. fans and yeah. possibly do a live stream concert yeah so trevor was great that's amazing that's yeah. amazing love it dude i'm looking forward to checking that podcast out um oh. tell me about your documentaries uh oh. i know you've been to singapore i mean this is uh, it sounds like based on what we've talked about so far, you've got the experience and the skill set to produce this thing, put it together with your experience with filming and everything else. Yeah, I, I, I'm really curious about, to know about this and what thanks. you guys have done. I personally love documentaries. And as a little boy, well, little boy, I was probably, I don't remember the year it came out. I was somewhere between, I was probably 11 or 12 when a documentary of Chicago came out called um, Chicago at the Ranch. And they were recording an album at Caribou Ranch in Colorado. And that was the first time I had heard musicians talk and be people mm -hmm. and not be on stage with lights and, you know, all of that. And, um, I fell in love with documentaries. I was a Jacques Cousteau freak growing up. I thought I was going to be an oceanographer. I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. I took a couple of oceanography classes in summer school as a kid. I drew cross sections of submersibles that showed the lab and the ballast tanks and everything. And then my dad sort of put a pin in that balloon when he took me to my first concert, which was a flash in the pan band. A lot of people probably haven't heard of it called Led Zeppelin. And by about the third song, I went, Oh wait, you mean that could be a job. So a couple of days later, when my hearing came back, I got my parents together and I said, I don't, I don't want to be a scientist anymore. I don't want to be an oceanographer. And my mom <laughs> enthusiastically said, Oh, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a professional drummer like John Bonham. Well, after we hit her with the paddles a couple of times and revived her, she was a little <laughs> disappointed for a while. You know, a young Jewish boy that's going to grow up and be a scientist. I think there, it's not a coincidence. My first initials are DR for doctor. Um, <laughs> but a year later, she found. I know I'm kind of going off track, but I wanted to tell where the love for documentaries came from. Just this last little bit. A year later, she found an audition for what became my first professional gig. At 15 years old, I toured the United States as a paid drummer with a singing group called Spirit of America. And we opened for bands. And this is 78. So imagine the bands I'm going to mention where they were in their career. Sticks, Heart. Bloyster Colt, Seals and Crofts, Pat Boone. Um, and it, it was the bug that bit me hard. But going back to documentaries, it was that first music documentary. It was Jacques Cousteau. It was things like that. So 
when I had my video production company, my bread and butter was turning a sea of text on someone's website into video modules. I saw the whole video thing coming years ahead of time. Cause as you know, drummers are super hyper intelligent. So I thought of it first <laughs> and, and I did um, I, when I had my cooking show um, we took a break um, at about three and a half years. We took a break for a month or two and I wanted to see like, it, referring to post-production and editing, what does all this stuff really do? So I wanted to get creative with it. And I made four mockumentaries, fake okay. documentaries. Sure. And I won awards for three of them. And, and that really inspired me. And then when I moved to Vegas and I worked with that streaming video company, I learned a lot more and I started doing documentaries on different types of businesses, company biographies, and then going to Australia, I did stuff with the Sydney to Hobart. I did a documentary on the contender for that year of the Ocean 60 class because they had won the year before, even though they saved the crew of a sinking ship and they still won. So yeah. that's that's where it comes from. Yeah. Um, our documentaries that we do, the very first one was April Samuels, who is a breast cancer survivor. She had a double mastectomy in order to survive and live and started a nonprofit called Breast Cancer Can Stick It. So she yeah. invited me to be an MC at her event in like 2015 or something like that. Right, 16. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I said, that that's great. But let me ask you something. Can I do like a documentary about what you're doing, interview you and, you know, talk about the whole mission. And, and then I said, can I bring some friends? And I brought um, Troy Lucetta, Jimmy DeAnda, and the late great AJ Perro with me mm, as wow. guest artists and stuff. And, and that was the first drum talk TV documentary. Then we did three covering the Singapore drum fest events. We did two documentaries in Japan on taiko drumming. Um, I did two with Billy Cobham covering the yeah. art of the rhythm section retreats. I helped run the first two and did those uh, documentaries. Um, probably forgetting a couple. Um, what might be my favorite one is going to be out in the next few weeks and it's the drum talk tv documentary oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's the the documentary on the first 10 years and a lot of the material is taken from our 10-year celebration uh show that we did in las vegas on may 20th this year uh that had um ad adams who is the drummer for louis prima jr and the witnesses um and a bunch of other session work he's on a amazon prime show called um the recording artist, which is features Otto Dianglo, a Grammy award-winning producer who's on our advisory board and part of the membership site. AD was our MC. The guest host, my co-host for the show was Jeff Berlin, the bass player. Yeah. So the show starts out with the lights go down, a video plays, AD comes out and plays a solo. And then Jeff Berlin comes out with his bass and they jam. And then uh, AD thanks Jeff. He disappears for a bit beyond the curtain. AD starts telling about how we met 11, 12 years ago now. And then he brings out my wife and she starts to unpack the story of my idea and how she pushed me. And 
And then um, AD introduces Jeff Berlin, myself, and a guitar player who was in my first real band back in the late 70s. And we jam. And then Jeff and I sit down and he uh, helps me unpack the Drum Talk TV story. And then um, my band plays that we were together 78 through 81, but our singer doesn't sing anymore. So we got Chaz West, who uh, does a lot of the Bonzo Bashes and has his own band, Westbound, and sung with Foreigner, Jason Bonham's band. And we did 90 minutes of Led Zeppelin. I had a Green Sparkle John Bonham kit with the timpani drums and everything. And it was just a, a very meaningful event for myself. And we're pulling a lot of the documentary is from that show because as Jeff helps me unfold the story and asks about documentaries, event coverage, uh, how I'm one of the biggest advocates for female musicians and drummers, um, the hidden gems, all these different aspects of what we do, we're, we're adding content that represents the answers to those questions in the documentary. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing documentaries. It's It's been a big part of me personally and as a video producer all those years. And I, I could not not weave it into what Drum Talk TV does. And it sounds like you guys are showcasing world music and stuff that, you know, just the Western world may be less familiar with, like taiko drumming and yeah. stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah. Like music from India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, uh, North Africa, which is referred to as the Middle East, you know, all around the Mediterranean. Yeah. Some of my favorite music that I listen to when I can listen to music while I'm working, <laughs> um, I play on my laptop, the National Arab Orchestra. Oh, cool. I just love that music from that region of the world. Um, the Arab countries, Morocco, Egypt, um, Israel as well, of course, um, but also West African music. Just, mm -hmm. I love that stuff. You see some of my toys back there. Yeah. Um, my wife doesn't know this. Uh, she's coming home today and I have, or it's the first night of Hanukkah tonight. I bought uh, something I've always wanted. And I finally, funny, I finally was watching the Air, National Arab Orchestra and the drum section does this solo together. And I said, F it, I'm buying two Darbukas. So I bought, I didn't splurge crazy because they get up into the hundreds of dollars. One was like 80 bucks. One was 120. They're beautiful. They're still in boxes. I got to wrap them today before she gets home. So to describe what, what this drum is. Yeah. So this drum is shaped a lot like a djembe, which is um, an African uh, right. I, yeah, and that, I, that's yeah. probably the more familiar, you know, yeah. those especially. Yeah. yeah, one of the biggest differences is that you hold a djembe like you would bongo drums between your knees and you you uh -huh. play it. It's it's held vertically, whereas uh, dumbek, a darbuka, those types of drums from that region are held horizontally on one across one thigh. And you're if you're right handed, well, I think you should play it the same way no matter what handed you are, but that's another story. Your left hand's on top and your other hand is there. And the the head doesn't go over the side of the drum. It's encapsulated with the drum molded over the rim. And there's a couple different kinds. Um Rocky, got to give a shout out to Rocky Danziger. Uh, she's an American woman who splits her time. She lives in Turkey sometimes. She lives in Jaffa, Israel. She teaches Darbuka. We have featured her for years. She's amazing. Wonderful. And um, she's a 
excuse me, big part of how I fell in love with that instrument and, and that music of that world. And I'm signing Enja up for her bar, Darbuka, Barduka, Darbuka course. <laughs> and we're going to take lessons together. And then this little town that we live in next to us is a smaller little town. And then there's nothing for an hour and a half in any direction. There's an open mic. We used to run an open mic for two and a half years at our house. We have a big room that would jam 60 people in there. But Enja and I sometimes perform at this open mic where I'll play a djembe and we'll do like jazz versions of popular songs, Smoke on the Water, The Fit the Mansion, stuff like that. Um, she <laughs> nice. refashioned the girl from Ipanema into the guy from Ipanema. And, and I, I play. So I'm excited for her to come home and for us to tear any of these. But world music, we have to remember where rock music came from. Rock music came from jazz. Jazz music came from African beats. And the 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 more time that goes on the less amount of younger generations really know that it's important to know who your heroes listened to mm-hmm. you know um bill ward of black sabbath mitch mitchell of jimi hendrix john bonham keith moon carmine apiece all those drummers they didn't have rock drummers that they looked up to ginger baker to fashion themselves after they only had jazz music that morphed into blues and they looked up to all of those people. And we need to know, like, I remember uh, one of the times Nico McBrain was on and I said, why drums? What got you into drums? My older sister took me to see the Beatles and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so world music is part of our musical history as drummers. And there's some fascinating, you know, no sticks for most of them. It's all hands and finger. And there's some amazing technique out there. The two hardest instruments to play of any kind on the planet, I believe, are the tablas and the marididangam. Tablas with the finger tapping and pulling and pushing of the skin is just getting the different tones is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and to to remember the ragas and all the rhythms. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Maruti Dungam is like a opposite of an hourglass. It's smaller at both ends and it's wider in the middle. And Uh and you play both each end with each hand. Um, that's a very a tuned differently, very difficult instrument to play. Uh, the Tavil, uh, got to give a shout out to Dr. Abdul Halim in the Chennai area of Southern India. It's like a short barrel that would fit across your lap with a huge rim of, of about two or three inches. And this, the head is in the middle. One side you play with a type of stick. The other end, you've got these caps on your fingers Wow. that you tap with and it's just what what's going on there yeah, <laughs> i yeah, don't know yeah. but it's amazing but he also plays the gatham clay pot drum like there's so much out there folks so i don't care if you're in a heavy metal jazz swing pop you know what punk whatever go explore because that's where all the music came from that you're listening to i mean even in the last 10 years there's a lot of pop music that has that soca groove yeah, that I 
was surprised to hear and then consistently hear over the you know again 10 15 years that well that's the thing i know that you're into brazilian music and afro-cuban stuff to me that's the most difficult music to play okay i can you you just pull out any yes elp genesis (laughs) jethro toll album i can play every song even if i haven't played it in 20 years I cannot do a Latin groove to save my life. When right, I, some of that stuff you can't even write. It, it's it, you can't even yeah. notate the time field. Yeah, and, I've never been that, shown. I never yeah. learned. And to listen to it, you, like you're saying, you, you have some of it you can't write. It's hard to figure out what's going on. I see people doing it, and I try to play to like old Santana and old Chicago, and I'm like just flailing. I, I'm faking it. I love how it sounds and feels. If I were to do a 90-day sabbatical and dive into one genre, that would be it. Either uh, Zydeco, Afro-Cuban, or just basic Latin stuff. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah, and and it's like you don't have to become an expert at it. You don't have to pursue it to – you just have to find things that you can draw inspiration from and just enjoy. And broaden your horizons and add new tools to your – toolbox as a musician one last note on the last note no pun intended a whole note on the documentaries thing is that one of the things i love to do being a documentarian at heart is when we travel to go do a documentary like let's take japan we don't just show the taiko drumming we dive into the food the culture the food the dance the history the architecture and those things as well and and I'm really proud of that. I, I love that people get an immersive experience about where is that music and drumming coming from? What are the people like? What is the food like? Things like that. There's even a, <laughs> in one of those two, um, the one of uh, in Kochi, Drum Talk TV in Kochi, Japan, which is a very rural agricultural part of Japan, um, me dancing with a geisha. And I don't dance. I am not a dancer, but I did get up and dance with the geisha with the mask on and everything. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I love that aspect of being able to bring that to people. And that, that goes back to part of edifying people and educating them and showing them layers more than, you know, just what's, you know, at the top. And what you just said, Matt, is so important. You don't have to become an expert at anything. Just do it have fun, do it well, and don't be afraid to share it. Don't worry about what gear you have. It's on social media, for goodness sakes. By the time it goes through compression and their platform and the internet and someone watching it on the phone while their their wife is doing dishes or the dog's barking or the kids are arguing, like, it's a fuck what the audio's like <laughs> to a degree. You know what I mean? The things that people agonize over just drives me nuts because going back to belly flopping in and just getting started. That's how I started Drum Talk TV. I'll give you one more quick example, if I may. Sure. Um, three years ago, my wife and I took a course on how to teach courses in group settings mm-hmm. as opposed to one-on-one. And my thing was, I, I thought that's where the value was. You got to teach one-on-one. My marketing course was always one-on-one or one to the staff of that company. So this guy to sell me, he he knew I was in another mastermind group. So he said, well, Dan, 
let me ask you something where, when you're in your mastermind, if someone else asks, and I knew where he was going, asked a question, don't you benefit from, I'm like, yeah. He said, here's the other thing. When I started teaching in groups, I got my time back. I don't know what else he said after that. Cause my mind wandered to me running in slow motion in a sun washed flowery field with my dogs and flying a kite, get my time back. What does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, we took this course. It costs a lot of money. It costs five figures. The course started the third week of September, and it was one week. The first week of October, I started an online course teaching in groups. We hadn't even gotten more than three weeks into this course, but I just said, I'm sold. I'm doing it. I'm belly flopping in. And as I learned stuff, I applied it to the course I was teaching. Everyone right, thought right. I was nuts. And it was great. And I've been doing that for like three years now. Um, so just get, like Matt says, folks, listen, just do it. Just get started. Don't And don't worry about what people are going to say or how they're going to criticize it. You know, just, just turn the table around. Do it so that people will hate it and you'll never be let down. It reminds me of that, <laughs> Simpsons, that Simpsons episode where Marge wants to start teaching piano. And she's oh, like, yeah. I just got to stay one lesson ahead of the student. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, your YouTube channel has a, a tons of different types of playlists, and it's great. So, like, whatever your interests are, you can go there. You can find it. How do you, how do you group those? How do you stay organized? What's the, what's the end goal to having all this? Was that pre-planned? Is this... this just happen organically? So the same playlists are also on our Facebook page, which which I love. And that came out of, um, well, the first question was, how do we stay organized and all that? Is And I yeah. don't. Steve does it. That's <laughs> all Steve. <laughs> Steve does that. But I came up with the idea years ago where I saw the feature of playlists and my mind immediately went to not everybody is going to like everything we post some people are into metal some people are into latin some people are into world some people are into you know whatever so that's when i realized if we can compartmentalize all these different things that people might singularly like then that gives them a box to go in rather than relying on what happens to come through the feed. And if they're into metal and they see two jazz videos and two funk videos in a row and they might go, oh, okay, I saw metal once. I guess that's not what this is. I'm out. Yeah. Now it gives them an index to, to fall into and say, okay, I want to watch all metal or all this or all their events. Wow. I didn't know they covered events. Oh, wow. They do documentaries. And some people go, oh, wow. You do interviews. Like, it's funny how people, no one knows everything we do. And, and that's part of what this documentary is. When we set out to do the documentary, my wife said, She's so funny. She said, so what, why the drum talk TV documentary is this like an ego thing or, or what? <laughs> and, and I, like, I never thought of that. Cause I don't have an ego. Like my dad used to say, he used to say, I don't have an ego. I know how great I am. And <laughs> he was joking and I'm joking too. But I said, no, it's because a, I think we've accomplished something in the first 10 years. And I think it should be documented. But the other reason is 
so many people have no idea of all the different things we do. Right, right. This puts them all in one place. Mm -hmm. It's brand positioning as to educate the fan on what else we have for them and how they could be involved, how they could be part of it. And she got it and then kind of like immersed herself into part of the the process and everything. Yeah. Um yeah, she's she's amazing. She really is. Well, what 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 one of the things that uh, just to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about before as far as like consulting and how we utilize social media to kind of get what we do out there to the 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 broader public is maybe pulling from that playbook that you've used utilizing YouTube's playlist feature and maybe as individuals or as bands or whatever we can use that same concept yeah somebody because wants to you come and drive here. people specifically to that playlist right if you here's like my, this video see more like it at this link and just drive them yeah. there here's yeah. my lives here's some live videos of me playing with my band here yeah. is in my studio here is a clip of family things here's a clip of if you uh, if you teach you know, here's a whole playlist yeah. on stick control, practice pad stuff, timing. Here's here's funk beats. Here's deep grooves. Here's double pedal videos. You can compartmental all of them, compartmentalize all of them so that people can just skim down the index and go, oh, I want to see more of that. I want to learn that. And let that be a sub rabbit hole for them yeah. to fall down. And and then like you say, they, they may come to your page with a, a, a specific goal in mind and then discover something they weren't expecting. Exactly. And that's what I love. Um, we have our documentaries, we have our event coverage, we have our interviews, we have um, different genres, we have drum humor and contraptions as a separate playlist uh drum core i mean it's a, it's everything you could think of that you could serve up on a plate on its own that should be a playlist sure and, sure. and any similar genres or themed videos and i think it's great for teachers for people who teach drumming you right. can put all those just do a whole series on the hi-hat just the hi-hat alone you know how to choose sticks how to choose your heads how to tune how to select drums you know, all the those things could be topics that you can make several videos for and then put them in one list so that they're organized in one place for people. Is there I one love thing, the feature. Is there one thing about this whole journey that surprised you? Has there been an experience or a, a, yeah. a level of growth that has surprised you? Yeah, a lot of things. One, that I have survived it. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, marriage has survived it? The marriage has, definitely. <laughs> um The growth is the biggest surprise. I remember in the first few months um, discovering, um, coming across Emmanuel Caplet. Yeah. And I wanted to interview her. And when I looked into her some more, I saw, oh, she's got like 30,000 YouTube describers and 30,000 subscribers, 30,000 Facebook. She's probably got management. I probably got to go through a gaper, all that stuff. Well, a few months later, we were in Montreal interviewing her at her mm -hmm. studio and spending like three days with her. Um, but perspective, if you think of what I just said, and then literally 
almost exactly five years, four years, five years in, we had 500,000 followers on, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until then that I realized, wow, we're like really big, bigger than modern drummer, drum, rhythm, drum head, Tom, Tom, all those had on social. And I hadn't really paid attention to that. And that's the first time it occurred to me. Um, I remember Lori and I were teaching my marketing course to the in music group, which is at the time it was Ion Audio, Akai, uh, Denon DJ, Marantz, Alesis, and a couple other companies. And I remember waking up one morning and saw, we knew it was coming because we were watching, then I saw that we had 500,000 fans. And it wasn't until then that I thought we could reach a million because I thought, well, all we got to do is do that again. Uh, well, except for the fact that since then, every year, there's multiple algorithm changes that are designed to thwart your reach so that you pay for boosting posts or advertising. However, I've been able to figure out our way around those every single year. And that's a big part of what I teach. Okay. So I'd say to answer that question, the biggest surprise is how big we were able to make this and where we are now. And the fact that I went from doing everything, but the website myself for the three and first three and a half years. And then right. I had a young man working for me for about a year and a half. And Stephen came on board during that time. And a couple other people came and went, we would bring people on to cover the NAMM show. We had as many as 22 people working with us to cover NAMM shows, like a team of a camera person and a uh, um, correspondent on camera. And sometimes they'd even switch and it helped us cover the show in a broader way, but the actual employees and, and core group grew from just my stupid ass to a bunch of much smarter people like my son, Stephen and Jeff and my wife and McKenna and um, Pace and Christine. Surrounding and yourself with that. people. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned that with my cooking show. I had an idea for a cooking show and I didn't know how to sell an idea so I said, well, I'll just produce the show. And I was living in Ventura, California at the time. And there was a community access television station. You could take a class on the audio, the editing, and the camera, get certified, and then be able to check out their gear as a member anytime you want. Oh, cool. Well, my thing was, okay, I learned how to do that so I could produce my cooking show. And I hired people that worked at the station to be our crew. So it was all about, like you just said, surrounding myself with people that knew more than me in those areas. Yeah. I knew the idea. I knew how I wanted it to look and feel. And it was during that time, I was, uh, how old was I? Let me think. I was 40-ish, 41, something like that. And um, had the show for four years. But it was that time into my early 40s where I came out of my shell. I am an introvert. Mm. That's another thing you and Caleb talked about, introverts, extroverts. I'm an introvert. I walked down an alley to the shopping center as a little boy when you could do that. And I hid my drumsticks in my pocket with my shirt covering them and held my book so no one could see. I, I was shy. That was private to me. That was my thing. But when we did the cooking show, I realized literally five minutes before 
we shot the first episode. I'm in the kitchen. I'm all dressed up. I'm ready to go. All the cameras, lights are in front of me. And I realized I need to bring people in through the television. Hmm. I can't just be my shy, you know, old little Danny Schinder boy. So they counted it down. Action. And I, welcome to Chew on This. I'm Dan Schinder. And today we're going to. And remember when your mom used to say, don't make that face, it'll get stuck like that? That's what happened. I came out of my shell and I haven't been able to shut up since, basically. <laughs> no, I'm actually still a very shy and to a large degree, a very private person. I keep a, a, a close circle, if you will. But I found that switch and it's worked right. to my advantage. And you know what? That's another thing. And I talk about this in my marketing class about going live and being on camera and, you know, don't over rehearse it. And I've mispronounced my own name on, <laughs> on TV before on my cooking show on drum talk TV. And so what, you know, I've stumbled, stammered, forgot what I was going to say. You, I have reels and reels and reels of blooper reels made one yesterday with my core team of myself, Jeff, Stephen, and McKenna, because we're doing an end-of-year online happy hour with our advisory board, our tech team, our investors, and all this. So the four of us on Zoom made a little video, and I screwed it up three times in the beginning, cussing all this. So I used that as the beginning. I skipped the part where we introduce ourselves, and it comes back to me, and I goof it up a few times. And then there's tones and bars covering up my F-bombs. And then it starts, <laughs> the music goes from circus music to the real music, and then we do our thing. Yeah. You 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 got to be comfortable with yourself, and everyone should be comfortable. I think with people themselves. find that endearing too. You know, they say, "Well, it's all about authenticity, you. right, Matt?" Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to be authentic, and people know when either they're being hosed or someone's trying to hose them. You know, people know when you're pushing it or you're over. What's the word? Over delivering or whatever. Just. I well, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm so guilty of that. And, and, and that's the thing. That's why I'm curious to know how you approach things. It's, uh, you know, it's inspiring to know how kind of off the cuff that you are and you uh, put a lot of trust in that and your ability to riff. Do you know and, what the easy part is in that? The easy yeah. part is this. I know I'm not unique in the fact that I've gotten really good at being myself. And I think everybody's gotten great at being themselves. So why not just be yourself, yeah, flip exactly. that switch on and go do it. Sure. Sure. That's what I think, whether it's playing, whether it's talking on camera, hosting a podcast, being a guest, whatever it is, just be yourself. You can't mess that up. That's great. That's inspiring, man. Thank you Thanks. for saying that. Thank you. I want to close with circling back to brilliance. Okay. For the Thanks. release of this, just give us a final recap on what's involved. Again, remind us of what this is, uh, how people Thank can you. participate, and uh, what what's the time frame of this? Great. Time frame is it's unfolding right now for early adopters. Um, when this airs in January, I believe we'll still have the the probably still have through January the early adopter rate, which is seventeen dollars for the first year. What do you get? You get a year. Not only being able to be in the meetings with myself and some of our team to, you know, be part of the beta testing, but you get a year of 
live stream concerts. I don't know the frequency yet. I can give away some of the artist names in a moment, though. And they're on the website. But live stream concerts, live Q&As, limited seating to about 25 people with big artists to ask them questions online. All Both of those experiences in virtual environments. You don't need 3D goggles or anything crazy like that. But we're also going to have uh, two new game shows that are going to be in the membership membership site only and they're going to be music themed um we're going to have an arcade which will have music themed puzzles mazes word searches that are all going to be interactive in 3d experiences we have our top 100 videos of our first 10 years in a virtual video vault a fun way to get to it as well and the same thing with our fun fact segments of all the hundreds of interviews we've done over the years and um, you can go to www.drumtalktvbrilliance.com um, and read about it, register, and don't be left out. All of this away from the drama and nonsense and stuff that people hate about social media, all in a whole separate uh, platform that's our own. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, and we'll include great. a link in our show notes. Great. Oh, that. so artists, uh, Fog Hat. Trevor Rabin, Steve Nagus, the founding drummer of Saga, um, Steve Howe, Carl Palmer, uh, Billy Sherwood. Um, the list is on there. I, I can't even think of them all. There's so many. I just talked to David Cross from King Crimson, the violinist, about mm -hmm. it the other day. And uh, uh, um, Aaron Emerson, Keith Emerson's son, who Steve and I oh, just wow. had on again, is going to be one of the first to do the live stream concert with one of his many bands he plays with. So it's, it's going to be fun. And um, I know that Steve paid $20 recently to see a live stream concert of Patrick Moraz. So I'm thinking $17 for the first year for all of that for early adopters is, <laughs> is really great. And then it jumps up to only $7 a month or 77 for the year. It's going to be a lot of fun as for all music fans. It's not just for drummers, which really drum talk TV is not just for drummers either and um um it's been a brain bending back breaking project but i'm glad i've hung in there and didn't walk out on the highway we live in and step in front of a truck i came close came close a couple times but <laughs> I, i've got the right people around me to prevent yeah that. <laughs> well, we're glad you we're glad you stuck with it too dan and man thanks for uh doing this and and being a part of our show Oh, and, thank you. You know, just spreading the love, man. And and thank you. I'm excited about what's coming up this next year for you guys. And keep in touch with us. And we're excited to to see what's next. Oh, and you guys do a really great job as well. Whether whether you do it on your own or together, um, you and Zach, Matt, do a really good job. You get into really great topics. And, you know, the same way that not everybody we feature is a gold or platinum artist. You do the same thing. And I love that because we can all learn from everybody. It, and we should. it brings a lot of joy. It's humbling, but it also just reminds you of why you came to music. You came to drugs yeah. that what that feeds your soul. Exactly. Uh, so. No, this is great, Dan. And thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. So there you have it. My conversation with Dan Schinder. Make sure that you go to Drum Talk TV and see all the things that he has on there. And also stay tuned for his new Brilliance platform. That sounds very interactive and exciting. But we thank Dan and the whole crew there at Drum Talk TV for taking some time to be with us. 
Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Ulysses Owens Jr. Ulysses was recently in New York City working, but he's relocated back to his hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. He did a recent video on Drumeo all about the basics of jazz drumming. They also did a video of him performing Nirvana's In Bloom after just one listen. I know Drumeo's been doing a lot of that lately, and it's probably really cool. I got to check that out, but make sure you stay tuned for that interview that Zach did with him next week. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe, stay sane, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.